are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I just want to share, I think I'll just read a verse to save time. I was doing my Bible reading here a few weeks ago and I came across this verse. You know, it's something about the Word of God. You keep reading it and reading it and reading it. It's something you see new every time. It's been there all the time, but you just didn't seem like you just didn't grasp it. And you know the story here of David after Saul's death. David was called to be the king of Israel. David was a great man. Most of the time when you say, what do you think about David? You think about Bathsheba. You think about the time he fell into sin. Well, let's forget that a little while. I think David was one of the greatest men we read about in the Bible. David here has been anointed of the Lord as the king of Israel. You know, it's amazing. The Lord, the Lord told him, said, come to Hebron, the place of fellowship. And that's where we need to be. All the time. But I'm going to come down to verse 10 and read my text. In verse 10. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And David went on and grew great. You know, it's just natural for, for us to want to be great. Many times you and I look at this person or that person and we say, that's a great man, that's a great woman. You know, Samuel said that about David's oldest brother. He said, that's a great one, but God didn't say that. David was just a little boy, the shepherd boy. But the Lord said, Samuel... You've looked on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God chose just a little shepherd boy to be the king of Israel. And if you remember, the Lord said he grew great. He wasn't great, but he grew great. And the Lord was with him. And unless the Lord is with us, we can never grow great. You find this many times, you think about Moses, a great man. He grew great. Think about where he started. You think about Joshua, the assistant of Moses. And you read in the book of Joshua, chapter 4 and verse 14, says the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Folks, why do we need to grow to be great? That somebody can say that's a great person. No, that's not a great person if that's all a person can say. But we need some great men and women of God that men would fear God again and say like they did about Joshua here. 
that uh, they feared him as they feared Moses because God was with him. And we need that today. Joshua was a great man. David was a great man. I could go on and on. Uh, Joseph was a great man. Joseph just didn't develop into a great man, but God made him a great man because he walked with the Lord and God used him in a great way. I can think of many people, to me, are great people. I think of one this morning. I was sitting there listening and thinking of my precious mother and dad. I have a great heritage like our brother who spoke a few moments ago. I was born into a Baptist preacher's home. My dad pastored two churches. My dad didn't wait to get support before he started preaching. He just went to work and preached. And I'm not against getting support, but I mean, he didn't hang around a while. He just preached. I can remember very well when dad built us a little home. I was five years old. Mother said it cost $1,400 to build that little five-room house. And his payments was $14 a month. And I wondered why they built uh, one room, the extra room, a little, one just a little smaller. I didn't know, and I found out after a few years that Dad was thinking about someday putting a bathroom in there. And I didn't know what that, what that was all about. I remember when he had a well dug and it was on the back porch. And mother used to go draw water from the back porch. And my uncle came and said to my dad, said, Ezra, why didn't you put that running water inside that, you know, where you can turn to speak it? My mother said to my uncle, said, what, well, Conrad, how much closer do we need it? It's on the porch. That's close enough. <laughs> but I can remember... After my dad lived in his own home and pastored two churches some 12, 15 miles away, worked five and a half days a week in the bank in Winston-Salem, I could come in from work on Saturday at noon and after lunch, I'd hear him in the back room preaching. He didn't have a study. He didn't have a volume of books. He had a Bible and just a few books and concordance and a dictionary. But I used to hear him preach. I would get embarrassed out playing with the neighboring boys because my daddy was hollering in the back room. He was practicing for Sunday. I remember very well that across the road, not the streets, but the road out in the country, I can remember they always went to the, they called it the show on Saturday night. I guess the worst thing you could see was the Long Ranger in those days. But, but we didn't go to the shows. We didn't go to the movies. Dad said we don't go to places like that. We're Christians. I can remember very well when uh, the boys would come and tell me on Monday what happened at the show on Saturday night. One morning at about 10 o'clock after Dad had preached on Sunday, two services, I was out in the field working as a farm boy. 
there came my uncle and my first cousin and said, come up to the house a few moments. I want to talk to you. And I said, we're not through. And I went with them and they said, your dad just dropped dead a while ago, 39 years old. I remember those sad days. But I can remember when dad used to call the three boys and my mother around the old fireplace. He preached out of a big old thick Bible. He'd open that Bible. He'd say, now boys, sit down for a while. I want to talk to you. God's been good to us. And he'd read the scriptures and get on his knees and pray. That's been a long time, but I never forgot it. I would to God that our homes were like that today. My mother was 37 years old when dad went to be with the Lord. She got a little Social Security check for three little boys, 9, 12, and 13. Mother could have very easily threw her life away, but she didn't. I said something some time ago about as referring to it. And I said 100, about $130 a week was her income. And she said afterwards, she said, Bob, you didn't tell that right. It's $130 a month is what it was. She raised us three boys on that little Social Security check and then went to work as a nurse's aide over at the hospital, making a minimum wage and raised her boys, read her Bible, went to church. I'm talking about somebody growing great. My mother, I never remember ever even being the secretary of a Sunday school class. But I can never remember mother ever staying home from church. She was faithful. I remember as a little boy when she would, after she'd get that $130 check a month, she'd get her an envelope and put $13 in it, and put it in the offering plate. She became a member of the church where Brother Joel, my father, gave the land where Brother Joel's church began on and I remember when she became a member there after my father passed away. and I was out in sin and mother used to plead with me. She'd say, son, if your dad knew you was out of church, you'd turn over in his grave. Oh, how many times would she say that? And she kept pleading and pleading. And I can remember one Sunday night, she said, go to the big meeting. And I went to the big meeting with my girlfriend that night, the Holy Ghost of God got a hold of me. On October the 24th, 1948, about 9 o'clock, I got born again. Because there was a woman who was a great woman who stayed true to God. After we boys had got up where she couldn't draw Social Security any longer, she went to work, as I said, as a nurse's aide, worked there Till she was 66 years old, and they give her a real retirement, $20 a month at the hospital. We have a Christian school, and mother said, she said, Bobby, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, I don't think I can live on my, even my Social Security now, and she was old enough to draw it again. But uh, she said, I don't quit work. What can I do? I said, Mother, you're, you can cook black-eyed peas and cornbread, the best of anybody I've ever eaten. I said, you'd like to cook in our school? She said, I'd love it. And she went to work at 66 years old in our school. And she went to be of the Lord. 
Back in February of this year, on February the 20th, I miss Mama so much. And she worked till five days before she went to heaven. When she was 83 years old, I said, Mother, I said, I want you to retire now. I said, you worked hard. And I said, you retire, and I'm going to talk to the boys. And I said, we're going to supplement your salary. We're going to help you. And I helped us set the salaries, and you know they don't pay too much, but I forgot what to pay. She's looked at me, and she said, Bobby, let me work a, another year anyway. She said, we got a 15 cent an hour raise, and I've never made $4 an hour in my life, and I'm at $4 now. And I said, Mother, go ahead. What a, what a, what a woman. What a woman that could manage a home and pay her bills and raise her children and, 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 and talk to us about the Lord. And I mean an old-fashioned mother. I never seen my mother wear anything but a dress. Now, you say she was a legalist. You call her what you please, but she was an old-fashioned separatist, brother. That's what she was. I never seen my mother do that. I remember... My brother had moved away and was away for a while, and he came to Moore Long one day. She came over to my house, lived about two or three miles from me, and mother said, Bobby, your brother's over there mowing the yard, and she said, he don't have enough clothes on to be out in public. He's got a little old pair of shorts on, and I don't like it. I didn't raise you young as running around here naked. What can I do? And I said, go over there and tell him, get some clothes on or get home one. I said, don't compromise. Thank God for a woman like that that set it down. I was preaching. She was feeling bad on, on February the 20th. I spoke at Howes Anderson College and left early that morning. I called my wife from the airport in Chicago about 6 o'clock, catching a plane to come home and I said, how's mother? And she said, she's in the hospital. And I said, hospital? She said, yeah, just wait till you get here. And said, we'll talk more about it. She's not doing too good. I got home at 15 minutes till 12 that night. And as I came in light of, of my home, I seen cars around. And I said, oh, God, it couldn't be so. They said, yes. Mother slipped out to be with the Lord at 8 o'clock. And I thought, well, somewhere between Chicago and Greensboro, I was in an airplane, but mother passed me, and she's in heaven today. You know, just two or three weeks ago, we went over to her little humble home to divide up what she had, and she had about eight or nine Bibles, and every one of them was King James versions. And she had wrote in those Bibles and wrote in those Bibles. And I said to my brothers, I want about four of these to take home with me, and I have her Bibles. The other day I got to just going through one of them. She's wrote notes down. She joined our church after I became, I was her pastor almost 34 years. She'd never miss a service. She'd sit to my left and, and, and listen at me preach Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I was looking through the leaf of her Bible here a few weeks ago and she had, she wrote some notes down and she said, uh, uh, I want to make these vows to you, Lord. And I wish I had them with you this morning. I preached on them that Sunday night. I got to reading about them. She said, Lord, I want to make a vow that I read your word and study your word. Lord, I want to make a vow that I don't rob you. 
And she had one in there I liked. She said, Lord, I want to make a vow that I'd do all I can to keep my family from going to the dogs. Boy, I wish we had some mothers like that today. Now, I'm talking about some great people. Some great people. And you can say the same thing. You look at a preacher and you say, boy, that guy got to speak at the Southwide. Well, let me tell you, there's some great men back in the hills and hollers that's been faithful. I think of Everty Moore, who's here this morning for 28 or 29 years. He's been laboring in the hills of Kentucky as a missionary. And to me, he's a great man because he stood through the years. That's what I'm talking about. I got a call a few months ago to come to West Virginia and preach. And I was, I thought I knew all about West Virginia. I preached all over them hills and hollers, but I went in one holler I'd never been in before. And I said to the preacher, I never heard of you before. How long have you been here? He said, 34 years. Nobody knows him much, but God knows him. He stood and he's growed and he's growed and God has blessed him. Now let me quickly to this morning, I only got 15 minutes. That's just an introduction. But I want to give you five things right quick that I believe made David a great man. Number one, five Catholic uh, 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 things about David's life. Number one, look at his character. Look at his character. Now I won't have time to read these scriptures this morning. But you read, you know, remember how Saul became so jealous of him? And uh, you read in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, verse 14, 15, verse 30. As he was faced in the pressures of life by Saul, I mean by Saul here, how Saul became jealous, how Saul tried to kill him different times. But you read all those verses, says, but David behaved himself wisely. Let me say this morning, folks, we need some preachers and some laymen who know how to behave ourselves and act right during the hard circumstances we face. I think our country is dying for some men who they can put confidence in and believe that they're men of integrity, and we need that today. And I believe that's one thing that God could say about uh, David here, that he grew to be great because he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He did that which was right, my friend, through all of his troubles and trials. Why, you find him in First Samuel chapter 30 when he came to Ziglag and when the Amalekites had invaded the land and when they'd taken his wives and his children and he wept till he could weep no more. Uh, and the men, they said, David, you're the cause of this. Uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord, my friend. He behaved himself right through his circumstances, through his problems. And I want to say today, that's what you and I need to do. I think one of the greatest things about Job in the Bible said Job retained his integrity. Boy, I find so many crooked moves and the religious realm, I'm talking about independence today that I've ever seen in my life. Somebody asked me the other day, he said, would you recommend us a pastor? And I said, I don't know who to recommend. I don't know who pays their debts. I don't know who stays straight on their doctrine. I don't know. Men tell you things I don't know. One moved in our area some time ago, used to pastor and said, Brother Robertson, is there any way you could help me? I've had a hard battle and 
and he got him a job, and, and I got one of our widow ladies to rent him a house, and, and he said, now, I'm going to be faithful church. That's been eight months ago. I think he's been there three times. I'm talking about a preacher. Two weeks ago, that little widow, widow lady called me, and she said, Pastor, that man's packing up, and she said, I stood good for his telephone bill, and she said, he's got two months telephone bill. They've cut his telephone off. He's fixed to escape this country and leave me, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Boy, that's a shame. man like that will never get anywhere full. Let me tell you something. You may fool me or I may fool you, but we can't fool God. And I'm saying we need to be men of integrity. I think of Dr. Bob Gray over here. He's such a blessing to all of us, I'm sure. I remember back yonder when, into that, when they went into that large building program. Most of you know what happened there, and it went bankrupt. And I've heard Dr. Gray say before, he said to his people, he said, I led you into this, and you stick with me, and I'm going to stick with you. If you sink, I sink. There's too many fellows that say, well, I feel like it's time for me to move. And you can just sweat it out the best way you can. Brother, that's not much character, and that's not much integrity. If I lead my church into something and they have enough confidence to believe it's God leading me and they follow me, then I ought to have some character and integrity about me to say, bless God, if you go down, I go down with you and we'll stay. Now God's brought him out. Man, he's going to build an auditorium about year 2000, I guess. I don't know, but I think he's got over $2 million now waiting on that new auditorium. I have a grandson who called me Sunday night who's in, in school at Trinity. And he said, Paul, Paul, he said, God blesses this place. I don't understand it. He said today, if I'm not mistaken, he said today we lacked 20 people having 5,000. And he said they didn't have a promotion even going here. 5,000 at Trinity last Sunday. He said 130-some people got saved. And he said 60-some people was baptized. Why? Because here's a man sitting over here that has some integrity, some honesty, some upright, my friend. And I'm saying this morning, we may go through a lot of battles, but bless God, let's do right. As Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, let's do right if the stars fall. Do right. If you go down, go down right, my friend. Uh, we need some character today. Old David showed it here in his ministry. They pressured him every way. But he stood right on. And he stood on and on. I think of Brother Lester Roloff today. Oh, what a blessing he was to me. You know, my son graduated from Temple. Many of you know Steve. Back here years ago, he would have put off his preaching to come hear his dad, but he's old, older now, so he's preaching somewhere. He's not here this morning. But anyway, Steve was here from 68 to 72. Brother Roloff was with me. He was with us three or four times a year. He said, I want you to go up with me tomorrow to Temple, so I'm going to preach in chapel. And I'll bring you back. We'll have the service tonight. So I flew up with him. My wife, my wife baked a pound cake. Steve always liked pound cakes so good. We left, we left Danville, Virginia at 6 o'clock one morning with no breakfast, flying with Brother Roloff and one of the members of the Baptist Tabernacle in Danville in, in the front seat with him trying to learn to fly. 
And R.G. Barber and I was sitting in the back. And uh, Brother Roloff had some, had some green apples in the back, you know. And he said, if you boys are hungry, he said, there's some breakfast back there, you know. And, and I, I didn't know Brother Roloff was listening. And I said to Bob Barber, I said, Bob, I said, I got a pound cake here in, in this little container sitting right on the floor. I'm taking to Steve. He don't know I'm coming. I'm taking to Steve. I said, boy, wouldn't it be good? He said, boy, if we had some coffee. And we thought Brother Roloff and our buddy was carrying on the conversation up there. And so happened, I just grabbed the side. But Brother Barber wouldn't look at him. Brother, when he said coffee, Brother Roloff hit that stick and we started. <laughs> Brother Barber didn't look like he had a drop of blood in him. He said, he said, what's happened? What's happened? Brother Lester said, every time coffee is mentioned in this plane, it does that. It automatically does that. <laughs> I'll never forget those days with Brother Roloff. R.J. Barber Jr. said, I promise you'll never be mentioned again. So don't do that. We came on. He preached in chapel. We went down here to eat with some of his folks, you know, some of this type of food. It was good. I don't know what it was. It was good. We ate lunch, got on that plate, and uh, we got up in the air somewhere way up yonder. And Brother Roloff said, I'm tired. Young man, I've watched you. I think you can take care of this thing. So I'm going to get it back and take a nap. And he pulled his shoes off. He pulled his coat off and made him a pillow out of it and just jumped between Brother Barber and I and got in the, right in the end of that little old plane. He said, this door's not shut. And he started trying to shut that door hundreds of I said, Brother Roloff, take my breath, that little fella. He said, I'll get it in a minute. He made three or four, and finally he got it, and it was shut. He went to sleep, snored, I believe, in two minutes, all the way into Danville, Virginia. I never feel. I don't know why I got into that, but I remember this about Brother Roloff. Let me say this quickly. I'm talking about men of character. I'm talking about a man of integrity. I'm talking about an honest man. Back when uh, John Morgan was a hundred and some thousand dollars indebted in uh, New York City, Brother, Ro Mo Brother Roloff got a burden for that ministry. And, and uh, Brother Steve Bird from down in uh, Fayetteville said, Brother Bobby, we'd like to use your building and we'll let's try to raise money. Some of you preachers may have been there. There's over a hundred pastors that night and and Brother Roloff was there. And, and uh, I remember Brother Frank Rosser, and, and uh, I don't remember who, several of their mission men, and they had all planned now how I was going to get the preachers to pledge so much to get their churches to give and raise that 110000 Brother Roloff got up and said, well, you can take an offering towards it at night, but we won't put pressure on the folks. I'll just take care of it. How much is it, Brother John? And boy, everybody just, oh. He said, well, now I'll have you check in the mail in so many weeks now for 110000 You know what? Two businessmen had promised him that they were going to give him 500000 apiece. And he said, Brother Bobby, if, if they give me, they said he's going to give it to me. And they're honest me, and, and they give me the million, then I can pay that off for 110000 But, you know, I he told me after that, he said, I think the worst I ever got hurt in my ministry was those two men turned against me because I would not compromise. And they said, we're not going to give it to you. And he talked to me about this two or three times. He said, now I've got to pay that 110. 
One day he was cutting up with me and oh, he had such a sense of humor and I cracked something crazy back at him and I got under conviction. I felt like I was in the presence of God when I was in the presence of Lester Roloff. And I, I got under conviction. I said, Brother Roloff, I'm sorry what I said to you. I wouldn't hurt your feelings for nothing in the world. And he looked at me as solemn. He said, Bobby Robinson, let me tell you something. He said, if you hurt my feelings, it's not your fault. It's my fault because I'm supposed to be dead. You can't hurt something dead. Now, brother, take that one home with you. That's what I'm talking about. Folks, I'm talking about we need character in the time of pressures when it's so easy to just go this way or that way. But we need to learn to stand during those times. And I think David, we've seen that. Let me see. I just have to give him other points right quick. He was a man of convictions. And he had convictions. I mean, you know the story here in 1 Samuel 17 when uh, he was a little shepherd boy and his daddy said, go out there and see how your brothers are doing in the battle. And he walks out there and that little big giant walks out and starts cursing God and the rest of them were scared to death. And, and uh, little old David said, why, that man can't defy the armies of the living God. He can't talk about my God like that. And his brothers, they was ashamed of him. And they said they were scared, so they was ashamed. And so they said, why don't you go on home, you little shepherd boy? What are you doing up here anyway? And he said, is there not a cause? And he said, and Saul said, well, you can't fight him. I said, he's a man of war, and you're just a kid. And he says, I'm going after him. Boy, we need some people who's willing to fight to the Goliath today and have some convictions. And he said, we're not going down the drain, bless God. We're going to stand. You know the story how Saul put his armor on him and David's mind went back yonder and he knew what would kill the, Goliath, kill the giant. And he said, uh, I appreciate this, Saul, but he said, this just don't fit. But he said, I know something will work. He said, a lion come up one day and a bear come up. And he said, God's power came on me and God give me power to kill them. And the same God that killed them will take care of this giant. Let me tell you something quickly this morning, my friend. We need to stand and have some convictions. But I want you to know this modernism ways will not kill the Goliath, brother. We need to get back to the old fashion, uh, depending on the power of God and prayer to move the giants out of the way, brother. They're coming in mighty fast on us. I've never in my life seen so many trying different kinds of garments to fight the battle. I hear this talk, talk of lifestyle, of lifestyle evangelism today. I've never seen a beat of it in my life. I mean, program after program after program. Let me tell you something, friend. What we need is what's worked all through the years. Oh, I wish I had an hour this morning. It takes me a long time to get started. 25 years ago, we had Dr. Bob Gray, and he was preaching week meetings. And Dr. Bob Gray came with us on, on Monday. And, uh, and, and was going through Friday. And some of my men came with a burden and they said we need revival. And about 12, 15 men, I mean, they didn't ask each other and one didn't know the other was doing it, but they said we're taking a week's revival, a week's uh, uh, vacation from our job just to pray for revival and to work this week. I got a call from Dr. Gray. I doubt if he's ever called anyone like this. He said, Brother Bobby, I don't know how to say what I'm saying. But he said, God wants me up there. And you know I don't leave my church on Sunday. But God wants me up there so mad this coming Sunday. He said, I'm afraid to be at Trinity. Do you understand? I said, sure, I like it, brother. Come on, we'll go Sunday, Monday night through 
on Sunday night. That time we were running about 700. I think 750 was our record attendance. Dr. Grace said, let's try to break it. Let's have 1,000 next Sunday. Folks got to pray and God's power came down. And bless God, I went over to the motel to get him that morning. And we came through that little old 55 Chevrolet. And he got to shouting and, and beating the floorboard and that thing. And he said, glory to Bob, we're going to have it. Them old dirt roads are black topped out there now. And cars was coming. And listen, honest, God being my witness, I got in a traffic jam going back to my own church that morning. Let me tell you, when we can get some fire, people will come to watch a burn if nothing else. That's what I'm talking about. Boy, we parked cars everywhere we could park a car. And we got through counting that morning. We had 1,445 people. Uh, Dr. Gray, you will never believe this one. Dr. Gray, I timed him. He preached 40 minutes. Honest, he preached 40 minutes that morning. I'll never forget it. And he stood at the pulpit and gave the invitation. I stood at one aisle. My Sunday school superintendent stood at the other aisle. That was back before we ever had the bus ministry. And thank God for the bus ministry. They're just as important there as they are anywhere when they get saved. But that morning our invitation went an hour and 20 minutes. We had 54 people saved that morning. 51 or two of them was adult people. We had, I think, as 116 saved from Monday. I'm not talking about just professions in home. I'm talking about folks getting saved there at the church the next Sunday night. I preached an hour and baptized 64 people and used some muscles I hadn't used a long time. Brother, God give us a revival. And I'm going to tell you some Goliaths got killed in that meeting. And let me tell you something, brother. We need some convictions to come back and use the same weapons that we know that will work and that's old-fashioned preaching and old-fashioned praying and old-fashioned witnessing and watch God work in our services once again. He was not dead. I'm glad he's not. Bless God. I'm saying today that this man had some convictions. He said, this giant cannot do this. And God used him. He stood true. And God used him to give the children of Israel victory. And let me say to my brothers, we need to come back to that today. We're living in a day when you can't even name sin anymore. You know, what happened to the John R. Rice's? Man, he used to preach against everything. How many did? Man, listen, I never know there's anything wrong with the backer until he come to Western Salem. He got to preaching against it. I mean, he talked about bobbed hair and bossy wives and women preachers and you name it. He's against everything. What's wrong? He's in heaven. I believe he wants somebody else to have some conviction. But today, we independent Baptists have got to the place when a man starts naming out things. We say, well, he's a legalist. Let me tell you, folks, we need to get by. I'm not talking about just uh, taking a rabbit trail out. We better take a stand in our churches, brother. All this breaking up and all this mess. Why, just two weeks ago, I was leaving, I was coming out of my Sunday school class and, uh, and a young lady, two little children, and she was walking along, looked like she scared. I spoke to her, I said, how you doing? And she said, my husband's here this morning with his girlfriend. And she said, I'm going home. I'm afraid he'll get the children. I said, what? Left his wife four or five months ago, just left her with two little kids and had enough brass to bring his girlfriend. And his girlfriend is one of the women of our church. And here he is sitting over here to my right. And I said, honey, you don't have to go home. 
Well, what if he should come to the nursery? I said, you tell them nursery workers, workers not to let him have them children if he comes there. And I said, if you have to, if I'm in the middle of my sermon, you come and tell them to stop the preacher and I'll get him out of here. I said, he's not coming here like that. And I mean that. I mean that. I believe, brother, I don't mean to be mean, but I'm saying we had better take a stand somewhere. No wonder our churches are filled up with hippies today uh, and women wearing men's clothes today. Brother, it's because we haven't took a stand for God and we need to do it, brother. Now, you can say what you please. You say that's not the gospel. Well, the real gospel will do something for them, my friend. And when the world moves in the church... The power of God moves out. That's what I'm talking about. So we need, this man had convictions. I got to hurry. Let me give you these right quick. I want you to notice something right here quickly. This man had compassion. Now you think when we have convictions, we can't have compassion, but he did. I mean, here he is now, brother. He's the king. And Saul's dead. And you know what he done? He said to one of the servants, Ziba, he said, how about going down and getting a little old Mephibosheth? What do you want to fool with him for? He needs to be up here in the king's palace. God knows we need some compassion. I preached on compassion about four or five weeks ago on Wednesday night. And uh, we, we, we broadcast our Wednesday night and Sunday night services. And I got a letter a few days after that. And a lady said, Brother Robertson, I've been saved 44 years. And I've never heard a sermon on compassion. Would you please send me a copy of that tape? Compassion. Boy, how we need that. We need compassion, my friend. And, and, and he had compassion. There's some, there's some Mephibosheths down yonder in Lodabar we need to go after, folks. And I mean, when we get so big, we can't go after them. We're, 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 we don't we bypass God. I'll never forget when we started our bus minister 22 years ago. And we'd run in all kinds of areas. Pick up every kind of a person we can. Get them to hear the gospel. And one of the local preachers said to me, he said, let me tell you something, boy. You're young, but he said, this type of people you're going after, said, you can never build a church with that crap. He was looking for retirement. Thank God he finally got 62 and he's retired. And we've been going after him for years. We went after him before the 22 years ago. But for 22 years, God's blessed him now. I think his 40 buses goes out every Sunday. I mean, bringing in all kinds and all types of Mephibosheths. Bless God, and just loving them. You say, but you can't care on the finance. Oh, God can do that. If we get our priorities right, to God be the glory. We moved in a new auditorium, seats 22, 300 people uh, 18 months ago, and we just paid out a debt six months ago. I mean, with that type of people. That's what I'm talking about. Folks, let me tell you, I'm saying to Bobby Robertson, all of us, we need compassion. This man had compassion here. He went after the Mephibosheths. I see him yonder after Saul was killed. Those Jabez Gilead's rose up and went all night, if you remember, and took his body down and gave him a decent burial. When old David came king, he said, I want us to remember those people. Oh, we're so hard against our folks today. Compassion makes a difference, my friend. We need compassion. And then I want you to notice something else about this man. 
He was a man of contrition. He was a man who never felt worthy of his position. He never felt worthy. You remember when uh, Saul sent word and said, Hey, you tell David if he'll kill a hundred Philistines, I'll let him marry my daughter. And David said, Man, let me tell you, I'm not worthy to be a king's son-in-law. He never felt worthy. And I want you to know this morning is not one of us worthy. Boy, that message last night on an ambassador blessed my soul. I sat back there and cried and almost shouted. To think that God would save something like me. And then let me carry the gospel. I mean, let me go tell people about Jesus. Oh, we've got our doctor's degrees, but don't let that move you. That don't do a thing, do you? Brother, there's not a one of us worthy of the place God is placing. Charles Spurgeon said, if you want to get on praying ground, he said, go back to where Jacob was when Jacob was coming back to meet his brother. And he said, I went out empty, I've come back full. And Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. And there's not a one of us, folks. And this man, David, was a great man, but he never knew he was great. I think that's one thing about what we call our hero, Dr. Lee Robertson. He's never known he's great. I looked at him yesterday as I came in on the plane, and I told a fellow with me, I said, he's walked up here many, many times for 40-some years every week. He doesn't know it. He's got time to sit down, bless God, and eat a hot dog with you and a few pentos once in a while. He loves you. You may think he's some big fella. No, he's not. But, oh, he's a great man of God. Let me tell you, we need that kind of people. Something else about this, and I'll quit. If you'll notice that I believe made David a great man, he was always seeking the will of the Lord. If you'll notice, he inquired of the Lord about everything. He didn't make a move unless he talked to God. One time, the Lord said, go after, get those Philistines. He fought the battle. God gave him the victory. And here they come again. Been very easy to say, well, he said, go, let's go. But he see, went back again and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, don't want you to do it just like that this time. Go over and stand with the mulberry trees. And wait. And when you see them begin to move, it's time to go. He was a man that always seeked the will of the Lord. And I couldn't leave this last thought out. He was a man who, was con who confessed his sins. When Nathan, when Nathan approached him and said, thou art the man, he confessed his sins. He didn't say, well, if it wasn't for so-and-so. You read Psalm 51. He said, against thee and in thee only, Lord, have I sinned. Preacher, friends, don't you think it comes time we ought to confess our sins? We preach it to our people all the time, and we just say, well, that wouldn't do. I think, brother, when we do wrong, we ought to get up and say, I sure made a mess out of that, and I want to hit the altar, and the rest of you want to come with me. And if we do that, we might have revival in our churches. Oh, so many. It may not be the sin of adultery like, he, like David's was, but it may be the sin of jealousy. maybe the sin of bitterness. It may be the sin of pride. It may be the sin of worldliness. I don't know, but we need to be ready to confess our sins, my friend. And God still says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. How many times have I quit? Let me tell you this. I was in a meeting a few years ago. 
I don't know what I preached on that night. I went visiting with a pastor the next day. It was a very cold meeting, very cold meeting. I went to his home, and we was going out knocking on doors. When he came to the door, his eyes was red, and he said, Come in, Brother Bobby. He said, I've been praying. Well, I could tell it. You could feel the presence of God in his home. He said, come on back. I want to talk to you a few moments. He said, son, you don't realize this. But he said, last night, God used your message to touch my heart. He said, I've been the pastor of this church for 15 years. He said, when I came here, he said, there were some people against me. And he says, they're still against me. He began to weep. And he said, I'm going to tell you the truth. I got so I was against them, too. Till this morning. And he said, for two hours... I've been talking to the Lord back here. And he said, let me tell you something, son. He said, Jesus has took all the bitterness out. And he said, there's joy there, and I feel sorry for those folks. And man, we went out and looked like everybody that man spoke to fell under conviction. We won souls just going and coming that day. Went to church that night, and I preached. I mean, this was a very formal church. I don't know how I got in it. But God even bless a formal church. And I preached, listen, listen, God being my witness. I gave an invitation with a couple of verses of standards. And he said, I'd like to say a word, preacher. I wondered what was going to happen. He stepped off to the front. He stood down in front of the pulpit. He said, folks, you know, I've been here 15 years. He said, you know, let's be honest. Some of you didn't want me here and you still don't want me here. And he said, I will tell you, I got to the place I didn't want you around either. He said, I, but he said this morning, and his voice broke and he began to weep. He said, I got right with God. He said, God took the bitterness out of my heart and he put peace and joy and he put love down there for you. And he said, now you may never like me, but I'm going to love you right on. And I don't hold a thing against any of you. I want you to know that. Could we sing another stanza? And brother, you talk about revival. We had one. They started singing. I don't know how long that thing was. Here come one and here come. And it was lining up. Hugging that preacher's neck and crying and squalling and saying, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And every time again, you could just feel a lump of glory come down. I went back to my church on Sunday and Sunday afternoon, some fella called me and he said, Brother Robertson, he said, I'm a, I, I'm a deacon of this church. And, and he said, I, I'll be honest with you. He said, for three or four years, our church has been so dead. And he said, I've been praying that God would just send us a new preacher. And said, I want you to know he did. He said, you know what? said, our preacher even walked down the aisle preaching this morning. And three more people got saved, he said. Let me tell you, folks. We preachers get this old malice out of our hearts and quit trying to, and one thing I did want to say about him, he didn't touch God's anointed. And if we keep our hands off of God's anointed, I get so much of this mess through the mail. Uh, the other day I got a, a, a some, some dude wanting to send me a book on somebody. I wouldn't read that bunch of junk. You say, well, it's so or it's not so. That's all right, brother. It's God's men and God will take care of them. And God forbid that I touch God's anointing. There's too many souls dying and going to hell out yonder. Brother, that's some reasons why this man grows to be great. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, 
PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.